What is going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders. I am very grateful to have your attention, at least for the next 15 minutes of this episode. Forward Thinking Founders is a podcast where I interview pre-seed and seed stage founders about their products, what they want to build into the world, and why. We dive into how they spend their time, what's their vision, what's the origin of stories, all these things, so you can learn all about what's coming tomorrow. Because these companies haven't hit critical scale yet. Most of them haven't hit product market fit. These are just early stage companies, and the big question is, what can this be? And in this podcast, we bring that out. So with that, I really hope you enjoy your time listening to today's episode. And I've already done 200 plus, so if you like this one, listen to some of the other ones, like with Imadi Kuhn, Austin Allred, Leah Culver. We have great interviews, so check it out. Enjoy the repository, and for now, let's get into today's episode. Here we go. All right, how's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we talk to founders about their companies, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. Today, I'm very excited to be talking to you, Adam Molnar, who's a co-founder of Neurable. Welcome to the show. How's it going? It's going very well, Matt. Thank you for inviting me. Happy to be aboard. Yeah, excited to have you on. You're working on, I would say, like probably the one of the most exciting, you know, technologies and markets, just like period right now. So I'm stoked to have you on the podcast. For people that haven't heard of Neurable, they're not, not sure what you're working on. Um, what is Neurable? What, what are you guys up to? Yeah, so Neurable makes wearable neurotechnology products. Uh, we were doing this before it was cool. So about five years ago, we spun out some really interesting uh, technology through my co-founder, Dr. Ramsey Zalcade's doctoral work at the University of Michigan's Direct-to-Brain Interface Lab. With this really ambitious goal of, can we use neurological signals to control devices? And with that, we created a really awesome demo, raised a seed round, built a retrofit for what was then a really exciting technology and, and still is, but it was at the, the peak of its hype in, with virtual reality. Got an investment from HTC Vive and then showcased this very amazing demo at a conference called SIGGRAPH in 2017. That conference was amazing for us. It, it put us on the map, it got us the, this is a little bit of a humble brag, the cover of the New York Times, but I'll immediately knock myself down a peg because we had all of these amazing meetings and uh, so much attention, but then we were hit with a massive, so what? So Nurable, we were around 12 people at this time. We had raised our seed round. We had created this amazing demo that was labeled the first virtual reality game you can control with your mind, but we got hit with a major, so what? And, and, and that hits founders hard because that, that, that's perfectly aligned with that product market fit golden sweet spot that you really need to do well in order to succeed. So Nurable had to go back to the drawing table to see what are we really good at. And what we do, where we excel is we take what's done in laboratory settings and combine it with IP that we have to do to operate in less controlled environments. So whereas this game demo is allowing you to play a virtual reality game with your mind, this is technology that had been used primarily in research labs or with people with severe disabilities. We made it in a way that could connect with a virtual reality device and any person could use it. So in that white table session, back to the drawing table to see what we could do, what the market was asking for, time and again, people were asking, can we quantify cognitive states? And the answer was actually, yeah, <laughs> that is a challenge that we could tackle. Uh, there's a lot of really good research out there, but uh, it hasn't exactly translated into practical applications yet. So. With that insight, uh, this 
virtual reality technology product that was hard to move, we had to think strategically of what we could do. So in about 2018, VR was getting a foothold in the training domain. So I'd been speaking with those individuals, organizations leading those efforts, and then trying to see how we could best combine what we've done at Neural with what people are asking for. And fast forward to today, where now what we've done is we've created a set of algorithms and a new form factor that we're actually very close to announcing. It's, it's going to be our new product. But we've been working with high performance organizations like air, uh, various entities within the Air Force to progress and really propel the next generation of training because we, we know a lot of observable data. We, we know how people perform and act, but what we don't have a lot of insight is what's going on inside the, the mind. And that's the humble effort that we're trying to take baby steps towards uh, accomplishing. Sorry, that was a long-winded way to say what we're up to, but definitely there's a lot more to unpack there. For sure. No, I appreciate you you going into it. So I think my next question has to be like, you know, you said back in 2015, uh, this is when this all kind of got started. Um, um, Is it a how or a why question? Also, why did you kind of want to take on this like extremely, you know, it kind of seems like a very complicated and, you know, difficult journey yet potentially huge, 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 huge impact if able to figure it out. Why did you decide to tackle this market back in 2015? And just a little bit of, you know, what's the origin story here? Um, What happened back then um, that kind of lead to where you're at now? That's a great question. Uh, So my co-founder, Dr. Alcade, is in his last year of his PhD. Uh, he had this really crazy setup where, I, I don't know if many people know this, but with an EEG system, there are largely two different types. There's wet and dry. So wet is the classic gold standard research grade system where it's like a, a cloth cap that you put on your head and it's a really long and annoying process to set up. And that's why it's largely restricted to medical or research applications. But what my co-founder, Dr. LK did was he took that setup and was able to control a little Lego Mindstorm, like a remote control car and do up right, left down. And not super uh, impactful, like it wasn't solving a market need, but it was super amazing in terms of what the promise of it led to. And I remember at this time, I was actually a program coordinator at the University of Michigan's incubator where Ramsey's uh, was a sole founder. and. And he, he was fi- trying to figure out what to do. And I, I remember he had this uh, presentation that he was giving and in it was this web of possibilities where this technology could impact. And on it were, I kid you not, about hundred bubbles of where we could apply this to have some kind of game-changing effect. And I remember sitting there, I'm like, wow, this man is really gonna change the world. And fast forward several months, end of the cohort, he a- actually asked me if I wanted to join him. I was like, Control show with your mind? Yes, sign me up. Uh, no, this is amazing. And uh, it, it's not that I'm, I'm necessarily a neuroscience background or uh, had ever pictured myself in this domain, but when I saw what this technology could lead to and the ki- kind of impact it could possibly have in the world, w- along with Ramsey's mission, uh, which is like a whole thing to dive into in and of itself, it's this idea of a world without limitations, uh, a democratic vision in which like you would give every kind of individual the same kind of impact, the same kind of benefit. Uh, Reeling that back a little bit, uh, Dr. Al-Qaeda has had a a personal incident with a family member and uh, physical limitations where 
uh, there was an accident. So he thought he was going to go into prostheses and, and do that kind of work, but then realized that if he was really going to affect change, he had to direct, he had to target the brain. So that's the whole like soul of the company, the impetus. And then when I saw that with what is the opportunity, I was, I was, I was sold, I was hooked. So walk me through what you're spending your time on, you know, on an average day. I like, I, you know, I feel like the answer could be anything here, but like, are you, you know, um, you know, fundraising, recruiting, shipping code, you know, business development, what, what's a day in the life for you, you know, as, as you're working on Neurable? Yeah, so Neurable is about 14 people right now. So everyone has relatively different day in the life. But from my perspective as head of partnerships, the easiest way to explain what I do, because I'm sometimes dabbling in product or marketing or getting <laughs> way in the weeds of the R&D that I never thought I would. Uh, I, I'm trying to articulate and translate the very good work that we're doing here with other organizations to create the maximum uh, power or the maximum value output. For example, one of our partners, a really cool company called Brightline Interactive, we're working with them and an Air Force customer to take what we've done and bring it down to a really usable level and then eventually to scale. So specifically, we're helping people identify how do people learn differently when it's through a virtual medium versus uh, a standard medium? And then how can we use these cognitive indicators to advance that educational process? So... For like, can you kind of explain on a very basic level to people that don't know anything about, you know, the brain, like myself, um, can like walk me through the types of technology that you're using and like what, you know, what's possible now, what could be possible in the future, not talking about like 10 year, 15 year yet, but just like, you know, you're, you're, you're helping, you know, you know, harness the brain, right. Um, to kind of walk me through a little bit of what that looks like, what you're able to control, not control, just kind of, are you gonna kind of like help me like get a little insight there? Yeah, that's, that's a super important question. I don't even know if you realize that, which because our industry and I, I'll, I'll admit that Neurable has been suspect of it in the past, has been overhyping the capabilities of what can come from this technology. And that's largely due to this idea that a lot of the people who work in this space are technologists. So things that they work on or advance are really novel and exciting to them, but it doesn't actually matter because when it comes to the end user, that value hasn't trickled down yet. The, the, it, it's not good enough. So setting that foundation, what we do, I think the easiest analogy is if we think about a Fitbit or an Apple watch, what that tracks right now is physiological fitness related measurements and to try to achieve those kind of goals. And what we're doing here, our very ambitious effort is to do that, to replicate that process, but from a cognitive perspective. So at, whereas people most largely work with physical wearables, we're working on a cognitive wearable. So how can we better understand cognitive states such as attention or uh, fatigue, performance, cognitive load, these things that have been shown in literature in the scientific literature to be done well in laboratory environments, how can we practically apply that to a form factor that people are actually going to use? We see a lot of niche type of applications where people will use a neurotechnology to either maybe have a meditation session or some kind of very difficult to control mental uh, ability. Uh, and we're seeing it largely in virtual reality right now, which we kind of started in 2017. But 
what we don't see is a lot of practical applications of DCI and, and, and that's where we are at. And I, I think uh, if, we, if we can accomplish that and I feel good about doing that, then I, I think we'll lead the way for a, a whole new product category. I'm very excited about that. And you, you mentioned in, in one of your last answers, one of your jobs is like to kind of take what the kind of the technical, really impressive things you're doing on, on within the team and then, you know, communicate that externally to people and, and working with them and whatnot. Do you, um, this might be a weird question, but I'm honestly just curious because you're in the industry that you're in, um, which is very new, it's very bleeding edge, things like that. Do you like need to develop strategies around like hyping people down almost like, you know, like, like me, me, meaning like, like, hey, like, what do you Oh, I'm working on herbal. We're working on, like, you know, ways to harness the brain. Do people, like, sometimes, like, not take it? Like, it's so crazy to them. They can't even take it seriously. You need to, like, kind of hype them down to actually talk business. Or is that a problem I just kind of, like, made up? I, I'm just kind of wondering if that's a no, I, I, I'm going to steal that because hyping them down is literally what I have to do. Uh, especially with people, and, and this is the majority of people who don't know much about the technology because it's admittedly very new the brain often goes to what is known in like the cultural zeitgeist. So when you think of neurotechnology, media associations are telekinesis, the, the force is something I get time and again. Or on the opposite side of that excited spectrum is uh, fear actually. And, and that's a, a wholly legitimate, but also another challenge to tackle. People are like, well, is this going to take data in a way that I don't want it to? Is it going to affect privacy in a way that I can't even begin to fathom? And the answer right now is not really the, it's very hard with the technology, but that in itself, the people, the fact that people are asking those questions means that we need to be privy to that, that we need to be sensitive. And that's our approach. So internally at Neurable, we started a series of neuroethics dialogues with industry leaders. Uh, and, and, and so like there is the, the hyping them down in terms of what it can deliver because the technology is going to come stepwise. It, it's it's going to, it's, it's maturing very quickly, very fast, but even that is limited. Like smartphone technology existed a decade before the, uh, before Apple made the capacitive touchscreen, the standard. And now we have this device that we can't even imagine living without. And then on the other hand, there's the hyping down on the on the ethics or 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 fear side, the the unknowns, and that's another challenge, but very important in and of itself. And how do you think of this? Is one of my last questions, kind of on this front. How do you sure. think about being? You know, you're, you're kind of leading the way among the companies, leading the way here, if not like the leader, at least from my <laughs> my perspective. And you know, you mentioned yeah, on the sec on your second point, you know, yeah, like the, it's kind of scary. Like it's the brain, like, you know, what, is, what does this mean? H how do you, um, do you guys have like frameworks to thinking through great? Like we're the le leader in this space, one of the leaders in this space. It's a kind of a, a new space, a scary space. Like, do you, do you feel like you have a, um, uh, a kind of a responsibility to, to communicate this in a way that kind of paved the way for the industry? Um, or I guess, how do you think about almost that responsibility of kind of carrying the torch in some ways? Absolutely. We need to build the future that we want to live in. So if we want people to respect personal data, uh, I had a really interesting conversation, a little bit of a tangent with uh, th this woman leading a neuro, uh, sorry, uh, an ethical AI project with Europe's largest think tank. And we were talking about what is ethical application of data? How can we 
reasonably use data and algorithms to benefit individuals. And there is one tenet that is standard, whether it's neuroscience or AI or whatever area of application that if people are generating data, that data should be should be directly impacting their own life. Like it should make their own experience better and it shouldn't be sold to another company to take advantage of that. So I think that's one of the biggest things that if we set that as the standard, that's the precedent of neurotechnology, then everyone else has to follow suit. And because what we're trying to deliver very soon and we'll be in, uh, announcing this shortly, we, we're building this product that we're calling the everyday brain computer interface. It's this idea that it, uh, we're taking this, what is otherwise bleeding edge emerging technology and trying to make it into a product that you're gonna use consistently. So it's not like I put it on only to do this, or I only wanted to try it for a, a novelty experience. This is something that's gonna be consistently benefiting an individual's life uh, and in turn generating data on a consistent basis. So it's like, how do we make this? Uh, I, uh, my co-founder gives a really great presentation on this idea of invisible technologies where it's like, you don't even think about bringing your smartphone with you. It's just a part of your life. So it's like, what is this product and this future of work product that we're building that is going to be a consistent part of your routine? And I think that's a big part of it. Totally. It's awesome to kind of hear how you think about that. And you know, there's this, there's then a, uh, I don't know. I, I think I came up with it. Maybe someone else did. I don't remember. But I thought this concept of like, you know, the, the next the next wave of billion dollar companies are going to be built, you know, doing the opposite of the last the, the wave of the last billion dollar companies, you know, specifically on like data. Um, and you're, you know, you're you know going to be on the right side of things because you're all these companies, you know, get rich off data, but like not not in the best way. You know, we'll see it. We'll see how they figure it out. So I th so for you. Um, let's look out, you know, five years, 10 years, maybe like, you know, 20 years, whatever hor horizon you want to think about what, what does Neurable look like, you know, that far away, or in other words, what's the big vision here and what direction are you rowing in? I could spend many hours talking about this. So I'll try to synthesize it down to the most impactful chunks, which is, I think there are, are two ways and it's two large ways that we think about it. Although I think it's more on a, we, we think it's more of a spectrum, whereas I think one part of it is this idea of analytics and the other side of it is interactions. Whereas analytics represent what can we measure from a cognitive state perspective and interactions is what can I control using cognitive function. So if we're looking 10 years, 20 years out, what we'll see is really advanced control from a, a, a BCI perspective. And an easy way to think about that is every evolution of computing systems has this companion paradigm, interaction paradigm that, that joins it. So we have a personal computer, mouse, keyboard, GUI interface, smartphone, we have a touch screen. And what those technologies are indicative of is with every major advancement, we see the distance from human and machine getting shorter and shorter and shorter to a point where we're literally touching and speaking to our devices today. So in the future, what we'll have are technologies that are respectful of our cognitive state. So it's an idea of effective computing where uh, the technology is proactively working with you as opposed to by you and then eventually for you. And I, I think that's an interesting distinction, the by with for, uh, and, and I think that's how we can think the 20 years that technology will start to 
anticipate things or because it knows what your cognitive state is can act accordingly. Uh, it's very interesting. And on the, on the interaction side, that's when we get those telekinesis questions that uh, we'll see things like motor energy, which is the idea of you're thinking of an action or performing an action, like moving your hand. And there are signals that are, that reflect that. It's just very hard to get those. So I think it'll start with practical applications of hands-free control, and those will be very basic, but they'll, they have to work well. That's how they'll get adopted. Um, I like this idea that really new technology that doesn't necessarily, necessarily solve an immediate need, like a, a new form of interaction, how can we make that so convenient that not having it then generates a need? Uh, and I think we'll, that's where we'll see this technology going. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm trying to get to telekinesis, you know, as soon as possible. So how can the forward thinking founders community help you make that vision happen? Um, you know, can we, you know, are you, are you hiring? Are you fundraising? Are you looking for users or, you know, anything like that? How can the kind of the community assist? Uh, well, for one thing, stay tuned because we're going to have a, a, an announcement coming in the very near future about this new product. So just at least follow that. And then I think a lot of things will, will naturally uh, follow. But in addition to that, if you're in Boston, please reach out. Uh, we're always looking for people that we can collect data from. Uh, I'm actively looking at organizations who want to apply next generation educational processes. So working with a lot of individuals in, in those domains. Um, if you have ideas, reach out, but generally uh, just be open to, and, and it's not just Neurable because there's a huge community that's behind BCI uh, that is waiting to break into the mainstream. So uh, keep a lookout for those companies. And uh, the more that the, this idea gets socialized, the I think the more likely that's going to pick up. And then, uh, and, uh, a really strong recommendation that other neurotechnology companies build with value in mind so that we start solving needs for people. And what we really don't want to do is set expectations so high and then under meet them to a point where the general non neuroscientists or non BCI specialist becomes disenfranchised with the concept. And that could very well happen, but I think the opposite is also totally true and the sky's the limit in terms of its potential. And if someone wants to, you know, learn more, reach out, get in touch, how, how can they do that? You know, how can they find you online? Are you on social? Can they email somebody? How can they reach out? Yeah, I'm on all the social platforms and so is Nerville, but uh, anyone listening to this podcast, please feel free. I, I love speaking with new people about new ideas. My email is very simple. It's just adam at neurable.com. And I, I look forward to hearing from you. And uh, again, like, Anything that's going to succeed in the emerging tech scene is so dependent on a community and relationships. So whether you're in neurotech or not, I, I don't think it actually matters it's just so much as that you are interested in progressing the field further intentionally. Cool. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Best of luck building out Nurable. My pleasure, Matt. Thank you so much for having me.